0: All right, we are starting a four week long series uh, today, uh, and it's called Rich Toward God. And it's a series about some of Jesus' teachings uh, about money. Now, tell me if you can relate to this. You're reading the Bible, you get to some passages about money, and you kind of go, uh oh, right? Like, you just go, I'm not, uh oh. Like, and and maybe, maybe you understand God's grace more than, than I do, and you're just simply convicted. But sometimes when I'm reading the Bible and I see what it says about our attitudes towards money, our love of money, and anything when, in regards to our relationship to money, I just kind of go, uh-oh, and here, here's why. I'll give you a few. I'm just going to be a little bit vulnerable here. I just know I, th- I think about money too much. Things you never want your pastor to say. I think about money too much. I, sometimes I get anxious thinking about money and finances and bills. Sometimes I get anxious when I talk about money and finances and bills. Another thing I do, sometimes when it just seems like money would solve a problem for me, I just kind of fantasize about winning the lottery, okay? I'm just like, if I just won the lottery, this problem would go away. Uh, And then sometimes I have like, you know, the little banking app on my phone. Sometimes I check that multiple times in a day, even though I know how much is in there not much. And so, I, I, then when I come to the Bible and I see what the Bible says about our, us as believers and what our attitudes towards money should be, I kind of go, uh-oh, because I feel like I, my heart is in the wrong place when it comes to money a lot. Further, when I read the Bible, I see what the, what the Bible says about those that are wealthy, and that worries me a little bit too, because We live in a country where all of us, the vast majority, even the poorest among us, are far wealthier than the vast majority of the globe. Than the vast, vast majority of the globe. The the, the rest of the globe is looking at us and going, you're rich, even for those of us that feel poor in here. And so when I see these verses in the Bible and I see how it attacks my heart and see how it really speaks at the wealthy, I get a little bit worried And my guess is that's true for more than just me in the room. And if it's not, please be more honest with yourself. And so we're going to spend this next four weeks looking at some of Jesus' teachings around money. And because of everything I just said, I would encourage us to listen very closely to what Jesus is saying. Because I think we might be the prime candidates for what Jesus was teaching about money. To be clear, I don't want to diminish how tight money can feel for some of us in the room, how some of us go, man, Anthony, I'm poor. I don't like that you're kind of saying it that way. And I understand that. I don't want to diminish that for you. But I do think that sometimes we as Americans, when it comes to money, we, we put blinders on around what Jesus actually said about money. Or really funny. Growing up in the church, I hear all kinds of these passages of Jesus uh, where he talks about money, and it's pretty clear what he's saying about money. And we kind of go, "Well, he didn't really mean that. Like, he was just talking to one guy. Like, not not. They they wrote it down just for fun. Like, it wasn't like for us. Like to read, right? And I think when Jesus said some of these things about money, he probably meant it especially for people like us. And so here's what we're going to be doing today. We're going to be in Luke chapter 12. We're going to be looking at verses 13 through 21. Uh, And if you ever need a Bible, there are Bibles on tables outside the doors and over at the connect Us as well. But we're going to be in Luke chapter 12, 13 through 21, where we see this interaction Jesus has with this guy. And then Jesus launches into an illustration and a parable teaching about greed and money and the sort of heart that he encourages his people to have around money. And then what we're going to do after we read that passage and go through it together, there's three things that I think Jesus is trying to teach us. Three things Jesus is trying to show us from that passage. And we're going to pause and look at each one of those three things. There's probably more things in the passage, but there's at least three things in the passage that we'll look at that Jesus is trying to teach us. From the passage. And then we're going to close the sermon just looking at the gospel and how the gospel fuels us for this because this could be a heavy burden to bear if the gospel were not true. So let's hop into it. Um, We're going to be in Luke chapter 12. If you're new to the Bible, the Bible is broken up into two parts the Old Testament and the New Testament. And we're in the New Testament today. And the New Testament starts off with four different accounts of Jesus' life as the authors are trying to do different things to explain and point out the good, true things that Jesus did over the course of his life. So uh, Luke chapter 12, 13 through 21, I'm just going to read the whole thing because it just kind of fits a bit better together if I read it all at once. So verse 13 says this, someone in the crowd said to him, teacher, tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me. Jesus replied, Man, who appointed me a judge or an arbiter between you? Then he said to them, Watch out, be on guard against all kinds of greed. Life does not consist in an abundance of possessions. And he told them this parable The ground of a certain rich man yielded an abundant harvest. He thought to himself, What shall I do? I have no place to store my crops. Is how it will be with whoever stores up things for themselves but is not rich toward God. Okay, so a guy comes up to Jesus. He sees Jesus' wisdom. He sees Jesus enacting his wisdom in all sorts of ways. And he goes, Jesus, I've got an issue my brother won't give me my piece of the inheritance. In that day, the oldest born got the inheritance, but they were supposed to divvy it up among the siblings. And one of the things that the oldest born could do is they could divvy it up at the time they thought was right to divvy it up. And so I, what was happening in that day sometimes is what the oldest sibling was getting was a whole field of crops, and the oldest born would wait until after the harvest so they'd get the full uh, you know, profit from the harvest. And then they would give away this unhar- like already harvest- harvested land. So that could have been what was happening between these brothers. We actually uh, don't know. Uh, it doesn't specify, but that was something that was common back then. And so this guy goes, tell my brother to give me my piece of the inheritance. And Jesus goes, man, I'm not, who made me a judge or arbiter over you? That's not my job. I didn't go to school for that. And then I'm going to be honest, I'd be really terrified to ask Jesus a question back then because it feels like Jesus often when someone's like, hey, Jesus, here's a question for you. He's like, guess what? You're a sermon illustration right now. That's what he does to this guy, right? He's like, hey, help me out. Jesus is like, guess what? Don't be greedy, everybody. Like, I'd be like, I would have been caught on real quick and I would have told my friends to ask Jesus the questions I had. I'd be like, you should ask him this. Like, just see what he thinks, Like, Right. And so Jesus goes, hey, watch out for greed. And life's not about, life is not about owning lots of stuff. And then he tells this parable to illustrate his point. And he talks about this parable where this rich man has a really abundant harvest. And he goes, what should I do with this? I should build a huge barn. I should build a huge bank. Put all of my grain in there. And I can just live the rest of my life like a lottery winner. I can eat, drink, and be merry. And God says, Fool, you're dead tonight. Who's going to get it? And then Jesus says, this is what it's like if you live that way and you don't live being rich toward God. So, that's kind of our, our passage. And so, I think there's a lot we can learn from that passage, but here's the first thing of three that we'll talk about. The first thing that I think Jesus is trying to teach us in this interaction he's having and in this parable, and it's this. It's it's this first thing that Jesus or really kind of second thing he says, but he says, watch out, be on your guard against all kinds of greed. That's the first thing I think Jesus is trying to teach us, communicate to us. If we consider ourselves followers of Jesus, if we want to follow his way of the kingdom, I think Jesus would be saying to us, watch out, be on guard against all kinds of greed. We as, the, we, as the people of God, need to watch out and be on guard from all kinds of greed. Greed in the Bible, as it talks about greed, it's similar to how we use the word greed, but greed in the Bible is this inner attitude towards money that often makes you do all sorts of destructive things for money and with money. Greed in the Bible is seeing money as yours and yours alone. But in the Bible, when you see what God says to do with your money, with your wealth, what God says is money is not to be used just for yourself, but for others. Not just for your family, but for the good of the community of people that you're around and with. If if you don't believe me, go read the book of Proverbs. It's a new year, so I'm sure some of you are starting to read Proverbs and Psalms, a proverb or a psalm every day. Read the book of Proverbs. Look, look, at, look at how God says it's wise to use your money, and God talks about using your money in a way that benefits the community of people around, not just yourself. Okay, maybe you're like, well, that's the Old Testament. I don't believe it. That's a heresy, by the way, but that's fine. Um, read the New Testament. Read Acts. Read lots of parts of the New Testament and look at how the first Christians used their money for the good of the community. In the Bible, we're supposed to use our money for others. But greed says, no, your money is just yours and yours alone. And so Jesus, when he's talking right here, when he's using this guy as an illustration. He's saying, watch out for an attitude towards money that thinks it's all yours and you need it and you can hoard it. For the rest of your life. And you could hoard it from the rest of the world. And that's what he shows in this parable, right? That he shows a man doing just that. What's really interesting, all the scholars I read about this parable, they point out Jesus' use of I and my especially there. That the man in the parable, this is kind of unique, if I'm not wrong, in parables of Jesus's, where the character is going, my, 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 I, 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 talking in first person like that. He talks about my crops, my barns, my surplus. And then he says, I, 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 a lot. This man embodies what greed looks like. Greed in the Bible is thinking money is yours and yours alone. Greed is thinking you need more money or wealth when you don't. Greed is keeping money to yourself and not using it for the good of others. And Jesus says we all need to be on watch for greed. And the proverbs echo that same kind of warning. And it's because greed or the love of money, it's a little bit sneakier than other sins. A lot of other sins, you kind of know if you're doing them or not, right? Like, you know if you're doing them or not. To steal a joke and illustration from Tim Keller, the man committing adultery doesn't look at the woman and go, wait, you're not my wife, right? Like, that's not that doesn't happen with adultery. But with greed, greed can be like a leech that latches onto our heart and causes us to do all sorts of things and have all sorts of attitudes towards money that we don't even know we have. And so we have to watch out for greed because it's a little bit more subversive than other sins. If we don't deal with our greed, if it's latched on, if we don't watch out for it, it can turn into all sorts of destructive behaviors. So not only is it just kind of inherently selfish where you're keeping your money to yourself, but often greed turns into destructive behaviors that hurts others. Things like being dishonest on your taxes. Things like paying people less when you could pay them more. You know, one of the prophets talks about that. He says, that's a mistake. That's a, I think he might even say, abomination to God. I could be wrong there. When greed latches onto your heart, you could find yourself building companies or starting companies that they, their bottom line, all they care about is profit and not the actual communities they're in or the people they serve, just if they can get profit from those groups. Caring, letting greed latch onto your heart could cause you to just take the highest paying job even though that job might contribute to all sorts of ethical issues or moral issues in the world. Or very simply, it could look like keeping the big half of the chocolate bar for yourself and giving your sister the little half. Greed does all sorts of things, and when it latches onto our heart, and when we don't notice it, it turns into destructive behaviors. I don't believe greed will just simply stay stagnant or plateaued in your heart. It will grow into all sorts of behaviors. That's why Jesus tells us to watch out for. And our greed will make it so we think all our money is our own and it's not to be used for the community around us. That's what greed will end up doing. That's how your relationship to money will end up looking. You'll think this is mine. You're going to sound like Smeagol. This is mine and mine alone. And a quick caveat that always comes up with money talks with people. I feel like you might be greedy if you're feeling this way right now because it's kind of silly to me. But people go like, well, I'm supposed to for my family, right? All my money's for my family. I have to provide for my family, right? Like, yes, okay? No, one, that's not, no one's saying you're not supposed to do that. You could look at Proverbs in the New Testament. We are supposed to use our money for our family to take care of them, make sure they have their needs met as well. But for the believer, if you're not a believer, whatever. But for the believer the one that's following Jesus. We are supposed to use our, family, or our money not just for our immediate family but for the family of God and for the family of humanity. We all share the image of God in one sense. Or we do. And because of that, we, we share the family of huma- humanity in one sense. We are supposed to use our money for the good of others, not just for ourselves and not just for our families. And so I think sometimes greed convinces you money's just for you and your family. Your money is a gift from God to use for the sake of the world. Yes, you have to pay your bills. Don't turn what I'm saying into something ridiculous. Like, yes, you have to pay your bills. But after you pay your bills, what will you do? Okay. That's the first thing. Watch out for greed. Second thing. Jesus says this. I think this is really important to so not gloss over. Jesus says life is not about the abundance of possessions. So this is the second thing Jesus wants us to take away from this interaction and in parable. Life is not about the abundance of possessions. I'm going to say it one more time. Life is not about the abundance of possessions. I'm saying it multiple times because our culture operates off the assumption that life is indeed about the abundance of possessions. Don't believe me? we got to be the only country that has like 25 seasons of hoarders, Right? We've got to, like, I'm sure there's other hoarders in other, like, but can can any country produce seasons of hoarders like we can? If you don't know what hoarders is about, it's a show about people who have this uh, uh, mental uh, compulsion to own lots of stuff, get more stuff, and not ever get rid of their stuff. And I believe part of why people in our country have that is because we've made a key purpose of our identity as a people, as an American people, in owning stuff. And so this is now a subversive, sinful power that takes over, and the worst of it looks like the the seasons of hoarding. But we shouldn't be surprised because we've made that part of our life's purpose as a society and a country. Life is not about the abundance of possessions, but our country, our society, our culture, there is a spirit in the air that says it is. Okay, don't believe me on the hoarder's thing, fine. Proof number two, how often do you buy stuff just to make yourself feel better? Okay, so you're like, I'm not a hoarder, Anthony. How often do you buy stuff just to make yourself, okay, maybe you're not gonna admit it right now. How often, like, Here's another question: How many of us just love Target? Okay, like, I love it. Like, I love it kind of like a brother. I don't know why. Like, I've been going there since I was young. I love it almost like a like. I've seen these memes that say like, I love long romantic walks down the aisles at Target. Like, and I'm like, I relate to that, right? A lot of us relate to that. Maybe Target's not your thing. How often do you go to Amazon and order yourself something when you're feeling bad or bored or lonely? We have convinced ourselves in this country that life is indeed about the abundance of possessions. We've said that's part of our purpose as humans. And Jesus clarifies for us that that is not our purpose. Life is not about the abundance of possessions. We know from other things Jesus says what life is about. Life is about loving God with all of who you are. That's where you're going to find joy. Life is about loving your neighbor as much as you love yourself. That's where you're going to find joy and purpose. But in our culture, we've made it about loving stuff, and then we're all depressed, and we're anxious, and we go, why? I think at least part of why is because we convince ourselves stuff is going to fill my bottomless pit of purposelessness and greed in me. And we buy it and we feel really good for two days and then we're like, I feel sad again. Because those things cannot do for your heart what only God can do for your heart. Our culture wants you to live outside of your actual human purposes. And that will depress you. I think we as Christians, we should know better than anyone else that life is not about the abundance of possessions. And that should change how we spend our money. That should change our values, that should change how we, what we do with our time. Life is not about the abundance of possessions, this is the second thing this passage teaches us. Okay, third thing, third thing this passage teaches us is this, rather than be greedy, we should be rich toward God. Rather than be greedy, we should be rich toward God. So what does it mean to be rich toward God? And everybody was afraid to ask Jesus that because he just used someone as (laughs) a sermon illustration. What does it mean to be rich toward God? I think it means to use and spend your money in a way that points to God, points to his glory, and lives out his love. I think that's what it means to be rich towards God. I think being rich towards God is giving your money to God rather than to the bottomless pit of greed inside of us. I think when we have money, we often think to ourselves, how do I use my money to give me joy and happiness, rather than think, how do I use my money to give God joy? So, how do you give your money to God, okay? How do you be rich to where? How do you give your money to God, right? Does He have a bank account? I think it's this it means first realizing that money and your money can and should be used for the community of people around you. I think it means finding ways to use your money to help further the purposes of God in this world. I think it means using your money to make sure others that don't have enough, have enough. God in the Old Testament, he created systems to make sure the poor were always taken care of. He created systems into their law for the people of Israel. Do you do that or any of those things with your money? I think that's being rich toward God. There are a million and one great organizations that care for the poor across the globe that you could give your money to, and I think God considers that being rich toward him. Anytime you give your money to others that need it. Anytime you give your money to things that further the purposes of God in this world. And so how can your money be used to love God and love people? That's what it means to be rich toward God with your money. Is making money or being rich a bad thing? Probably a lot of us are asking right now. Well, I'll say this. The Bible does seem to think it's a detriment, okay? I don't want to pull any punches. How the Bible talks about the rich and being wealthy, it does seem like the Bible kind of says, like, hey, that's a detriment. That's going to hinder you in certain ways from, from seeing God. In fact, at one point, the, the disciples are kind of disheartened by that, and they say, well, what, what, how is this even possible? And God, Jesus says, all things are possible to God. But the Bible does see money as a, as a detriment. But plenty of God's people are rich and make a lot of money, while also loving God and loving people with their money. And so for those of us in the room with riches that have lots of money, which again, I would almost argue every American falls into that in some sense. And maybe I'm oversimplifying it or overgeneralizing that. But for us, if if you're in here and you're, you're wealthy, you know you are, a really easy test is, uh, come to my friend group, and then we'll all pick a restaurant. We'll see what restaurant you pick, okay? And we'll see what I pick. <laughs> be different, all right? If, if you're wealthy, what you have to think through is, how am I going to use this money to be rich toward God? God, in fact, has given you those riches and wealth in order to steward and to be rich toward him. But are you going to look more like the guy in the parable? Or are you going to walk into Jesus' way? And follow what Jesus is saying here. And by the way, Jesus' message here is not just for the rich. It's for the poor as well. People that don't have a lot of money, you can have the wrong attitudes towards money. You can love money. You can be worried about it too much. And you can think all your money is your own too. This affects Every human on earth, not just the rich. And so we all need to listen to Jesus and all of the things he's saying here, to watch out for greed. Life's not an abundance of possessions and that we need to think through for our lives what it means for us as followers of Jesus to be rich toward God. Happy New Year. Um, Just a great, encouraging (laughs) sermon about money and how we're all greedy. Here, here's the thing. I know that sometimes my sermons, especially in passages like this, they, they, they can kind of come across like, hey, live this way, and you're one of us. You're a real Christian if you live this way. But that's, that's not what I'm trying to communicate. Often, what Jesus is doing in his teachings is he's calling us to his kingdom standard because he's brought us into his kingdom. And so sometimes when we hear sermons like this, I don't want us to go away thinking, okay, if I'm not greedy, God lets me into the kingdom. I would rather us hear sermons like this and hear, this is the way of our generous king. And remember that he's been generous to us and to humanity in all of these ways. And he's showing us what it truly means to be human. And so when we live into this way, we're not living to get into the kingdom. We're living this way because we've already been brought into the kingdom. And our identity has fundamentally changed. And so this will be a huge burden if we don't remember our generous king in this and the gospel It will just be a burden. You'll just feel guilty today. You'll feel guilty this week. You'll give to the next organization that approaches you, and you'll feel really bad every time one of those commercials with poor children comes on. Like, that's all this sermon will do if we don't remember that God has been so generous to us. Our generous king, Jesus, gave us himself his whole life. Our generous king paid the way into the kingdom. That word redeem has this connotations of paying a debt, of buying someone out of slavery. Jesus' blood bought us out of slavery, got us out of spiritual debt so we can be in the kingdom. We're not knocking at the kingdom with the right toll to get in. Jesus has the blood paying for you to get into the kingdom. Our generous king came back from the dead, wows us all, and actually what he says is, I am so generous, I want to give you this resurrected life. Can we get the resurrected life on our own? No. Do we deserve it? No. But our generous king wants to give us this resurrection life. Jesus has been so generous to us, and so when Jesus is teaching things like this, it can be easy to just be guilt-tripped, but we have to remember we are not earning our way into the kingdom by listening to them. We are responding to the king and to being brought into the kingdom when we listen to Jesus' words about greed and money and generosity. So if we don't realize that that being rich toward God, if we're going to live lives where we pray through and think through what it means to be rich toward God, If we live those lives and it doesn't come from a deep place of security in the generosity of God towards us, then this sermon, it's just going to guilt trip you and you're going to get tired of it at some point. And you're going to say, I don't want to live like that anymore. If it's not rooted in our generous and good king. He's been so generous to us. like He's cleared the debt for us so much that we can't even go back into debt. So then when we're rich toward God, we don't have to worry because we know what's really true. That we can give so much of our money away, and we're not in debt. Again, don't get ridiculous. Don't max out your credit cards your money away. But we don't have to live lives of fear around money. Be wise around money. But we don't have to live lives of fear because God, our generous king, has paid our debt. And so church, may we watch out for greed because one day God's going to take that greed out of our heart anyway. May we realize that life is not about owning stuff because one day we're going to share it all anyways. And may we be guided by the Spirit in what it means for each and every one of us to be rich toward God. Amen, church? Amen. Let's pray. God, we need you. This uh, idol in our culture is so blinding that we all have a hard time believing we worship the God of money or worship money as God, really. And so, God, convict us where you want to convict us. Let this not be a crushing weight on us. Let us realize that you put the crushing weight on your son. So we need not put it on ourselves. But God, let us be convicted. Let us realize what life is really about. Let us realize what it means to be truly human. Let us realize what it means to follow you and live as citizens in your kingdom. God, help us. This, this next four weeks as we talk about money in all sorts of ways and think through money, would you uh, correct us where we need to be corrected? Would you make us more generous where we need to be more generous? And in Spirit, encourage those of us in here who are doing this well. Lord, we love you and we thank you for your generosity towards us. Amen.